The Green Suiters Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to support our show, get early access to each episode, get your questions read on there, and you want to listen to each episode ad-free, then head over to www.patreon.com forward slash Podcast to find out how. If you don't have any bucks to toss our way, it would mean the world to us to have some feedback on how the podcast is doing. You can leave us a review wherever you listen to this episode. Now, on to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to yet another community episode of the Green Suiters Podcast. Episode 20, every five episodes, we pause our normal programming. We uh, get feedback, questions, concerns, comments, complaints from our patrons and the audience from all of our different channels, and we answer our, their questions on the air. So if you want to guarantee to get your question read right on the air, make sure you become a patron. If not, whenever we do call-outs on our stories, our Instagram stories, uh, you can submit your question, comment, or complain there, and maybe it'll get read on the air. But again, patrons get first dibs to get their questions read. And uh, we're just going to jump straight into it. We're not going to do what's on our bench. We're going to jump straight into these questions. So the first question is from Patrick. And well, it's not, it's not a question. It's more of a discussion point. Uh, this is from Patrick over at Leather by Dragonfly, one of our patrons, and he says, let's talk Forstner bits, the good, the bad, the ugly. He said that he's tried all and have narrowed down to two different brands, Famag and Fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so Famag is a German <coughs> company, Fish is an Austrian company. I don't have an experience with either one of those. He did say that he wanted to try some of the Festool Forstner bits, again, which I haven't tried. But um, my, my cop-out answer to this question is... I use the shape or origin now for my Forstner bits. Ooh. Like I, Ooh. I don't weird I don't, flex. I don't have to. I don't have to worry about having a wide assortment of, of Forstner bits. Um, I can. I don't. I don't need to use those cheap Forstner bits. I have a twenty five hundred dollar machine and robot that does it <laughs> for I, me. I use my shaper on two by fours. What is when a I drill? Need a, I need a when I need a hole that's flat bottom boring on a two by four. I use my shaper origin. Heck yeah! I put my domino tape out there and. Get to work, <laughs> and I don't even have a drill press, so oh. not that you not that you need a drill press for Forstner bits, but it definitely helps out. So, what are y'all's thoughts on Forstner bits on either one of those companies, or maybe a company that you enjoy their bits? Me or you, Sedge? You. Um, okay, uh, I've used a lot of less expensive Forstner bits, and they suck and they dull very quickly, and I hate it. Um, then I got the Festool Forstner bits, and up until recently. Those were traditional Forstner bits, absolutely 100%. The Festool ones are my favorite that I have used. I don't know what, you know, if they're made by Festool or if they're licensed from another brand. I don't know the answer to that, Sedge. Maybe you could shed some light. But the the Festool ones are absolutely incredible. But, um, Sedge, you were the one that turned me on to uh, FAMAG, I think. Yeah, the Bormax are the bomb. Wow. You want to talk about <laughs> a completely different experience. I've got one in my drill press right now, the 35 millimeter one. It's, it's unlike any, it's hands down unlike any other Forstner bit I've ever used. So I'll agree with Patrick on that. I've never used fish. Those Famag ones are incredible because of the, the pattern that they have on the exterior of them. They don't produce traditional shavings that a Forstner bit produces. It almost looks like 
if you were to run a board through a jointer or planer that has a helical head on it. That's what the shavings look like. So what I think is happening is it's cutting the wood and the shavings, and then it's processing it. It's processing it through the the ridges that are on the side of the bit and breaking it down into tiny little pieces. It's remarkable. Mm -hmm. Um, I need to do a video on them uh, here soon, but that would be my. I first saw those with uh, John from Enfield. Sorry to interrupt, Jason. No, Uh, you're good. From John from uh, Enfield. Refurbishments, refurbishments and he was using those bore max bits and that kind of like i kind of freaked out when i saw him and then uh i we got a kind of a referral and then i sent it and i said you had to try these and they are wicked nice yeah i um i remember the first time i put it in and used it because i was uh cutting um hinge cups mm-hmm. uh, for the for the hinges and I threw it in there. I'm like, oh, I got, I got to try this. I think I had just gotten them. And I started cutting it. I thought I was doing something wrong. I really did. I was like, what in the heck is wrong with this thing? And then I realized, I'm like, no, wait a minute. This is incredible. Because that's the one thing I hate about using Forstner bits and a drill press table or a drill press <clears throat> is the massive shavings it produces. It's always a pain in the ass to clean up. <laughs> I mean, this is totally different. I was blown away. So um, if you ever get an opportunity to, to check those out, I, I would assume they're not the easiest things to find. You can find them online, but um, they're they're pretty remarkable. So, what about you, Sedge? Wow, this is it's not a difficult question. I love the question though because there's a huge difference between what people consider a, a Forstner bit, uh, this spur point bits, and then it's Forstner bits. And Forstners are true flat bottom. That's why you have that that shear that's in the middle. Now, I will talk about the Festool bits, the Zobo bits, we call them. Uh, originally, originated, originated out of the Pro Tool line. Um, <clears throat> and I've ha- I have Pro Tool Forstner bit sets that are incredible. We used to make them up, upwards of, I think, almost 90 millimeters. In fact, even larger. I have extension kits wow. for all of those. Don't, don't you have one of the Pro Tool drills, like the old one, one of the old yeah. ones? Yeah. In fact, yeah. Uh, that was the original uh, quad drive PDC. Yeah, yeah. And right. uh, that came out in 2008, the 18 volt. It's wonderful. But the original quad drive was this really small C drill that has got corded, that has got so much balls. It's unreal. The first time I tried it was in the Netherlands. Okay, so let's go back to the Forster bits. The nice thing, and Jason, probably the reason you like them is because that whole Forstner bit uh, height is all case hardened, not just the tip, yep. the whole thing. So it's, it, you I'm going to grab one real quick. Hundreds and hundreds of sharpenings. The nice so, thing about those, though, Ben, for you, because you have Festool drills, it's got the Central Tech, so mm-hmm. there's no bit slippage. You can use it with your Central Tech. It's wonderful. I'm not promoting them, but there's something about that bit that I like. You can remove the spur point. Mm-hmm. You can sharpen it separately, perfectly. But I have these Pro Tool spur points that are longer. So if you've ever tried it, you can't do this really with a handheld drill. You have to do it on a drill press because you've got to mm-hmm. tilt the table to get an angle. Yeah, you can yeah, do yeah. it handheld with that. And it actually, the kits used to come with a drill bit to start it. You pop it out and then put your spur point in. So you can do angle drilling on the job site, and they're wonderful. I have these Pro Tool spur points that are actually longer that I put in there if I'm doing an angled on a, uh, you know, just something other than my drill press. You're right about going with a forcer bit to a drill press. I usually do. Now, Jason, I'm like you. I've owned, I got, I think if you've ever seen that one drawer I have for Forstners, 
Oh, yeah. I think I must have 60, 70, 80 in there. All different sizes, all different brands. But the ones I reach for all the time, and you're going to laugh at this. Besides the Festool, they're different because they're carbide. And I know exactly give, what you're going to say. It's the Freuds. Yep. And I, I, I bought one Freud years ago, and I think it was an inch and three-eighths. And then I, then I inherited from my buddy Jim Bob down in South Carolina. He gave me a whole Freud set of, but they're carbide. They're expensive, but boy, they cut wicked. And they yeah, stay that, sharper. They're not, yeah, and they're going to last long, too. They're not sharper. They're going to last a long time. So I do reach for those quite often. It's either the Festool, the Zobos, or the, uh, the Freud carbides. I would, that was going to be a caveat. I, I've always heard that the Freud carbide, I haven't used them personally, but um, I've heard that those are really good. I know not everybody will be able to see this, anyone listening, but uh, maybe we bad. can put this clip on an Instagram thing. But that's the exterior ridges I was talking about. Yeah, so, so, and, so and for the listeners, there, with those. There, there are these vertical channels in the side of the Forstner bit, uh, like at the perimeter or the, the, the outer edge of it. Now, Jason, does that, is that bit... Um, is that a quarter inch shank on that, or is that a half inch? Could you could you quarter? chuck that in the CXS? And can you show and can you show the front or the bottom of the bit? Because that almost looks like. And I said, uh, I don't know if I said it. I think I said spur, but they're called multi-spur bits. And you see the different spurs yeah, on there. There's a lot of geometry. That's on that's that. called. But but the thing is, is that's a little bit different. That's kind of like a. It looks like a hybrid. I think that bore max between a a multi-spur and a Forstner. The, by the way, the other brands that the other brands that he the other brand that he mentioned, Fish, man, they make good good drilling uh bits so yeah. I, I, you can't go wrong with either i would you probably can use these in a standard drill but you wouldn't be able to put them on your cxs do, yeah. so you just you, you have to use a regular adjustable chuck to do yep. it Yep. jason would that fit in his uh shape of origin yeah probably okay good it definitely would. all right who's going second <laughs> me go ahead as long as it's not an inch and a half all right <laughs> behave um so let's go with this one. This is from at Matasaurus, uh, a regular questionnaire. And his question that's on Instagram, at Matasaurus, his question <coughs> is, what is the thing that makes you want to leave the shop when doing a project? Um, we kind of covered this on another episode, or what I'm going to say we covered on another episode. For me, it's when I screw something up really bad. <laughs> that is when I want yeah. to leave the shop. And it's mainly just because any time that I stay in the uh, shop and try to find a way to fix my screw up that doesn't require a lot of work, I end up screwing it up even more. So I found that uh, when I make a mistake, I just need to reflect on it for a moment and leave the shop. And so that, that is my answer, mistakes. Ben? Um, I have a really attractive girlfriend. Oh, hey, nice answer. Good <laughs> nice answer. answer. When she's not there. When she's not here, unfortunately. <laughs> um, Even better answer. I, I, would, I would say that it's probably the same thing, Jason. Like if, I, if I'm getting really frustrated uh, with, with, you know, an issue that I'm having, 
Yeah, I mean, obviously my kids, if they like need something because I work out of my basement and I'm a single parent, but I mean, it, it's very little that I would leave, you know, obviously when, Jen, when Jen's not here that I would leave the shop for them. I usually have the opposite problem where I tell myself that I'm gonna only going to go down there for like an hour and it ends up being like four or five hours, so. Sedge? Sedge. When, when I start getting wicked tired... And that's when things start going sideways. I'm out of there. Yeah. I when I get really fatigued, I know I've been doing this for a while, and I and, and I just have this point where I'm exhausted. I want to continue working, but I know there's a potential of things going really sideways. So I say, hey, you know what? Tomorrow's another day, and yeah. I just turn the light off, turn off the Mister Cool now, head inside. What's really nice is I don't have a five, six-mile drive home. I just yeah. – I get like a f- two steps up and I'm in the mudroom. I yeah. love it. So Before we, before we kick it over to Sedge's question, I do have one more, and that's when my blood alcohol content gets above a point nine. <laughs> <laughs> when, when the organic <laughs> red dye starts pouring profusely yeah. out of my sliced hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, I, when there's about a pint of blood on the floor, that's when I stop. <laughs> that's yeah. when I stop. All right, Sedge, what's your first question? God, there's so many great questions this week. Um, Okay, so I got this, and I actually put this on the list uh, a few weeks ago, uh, the one we always have that we can add to. And uh, it's from HallsHardwood.com, Halls underscore Hardwood.com. And it said, boxes first, the face frames first, frameless versus face frame. What are your few industries, what are a few industry standards? Okay, so... Um, I'm a frameless guy. I've always built frameless. I hate face frames. But I actually asked a question many moons ago to a really cool guy. You guys are going to laugh. It was Mark Adams. And I go, what's the deal with face frames and frameless? Because here in South Florida, it's all frameless. And Mark told me, he goes, it's 50-50. And I go, what do you mean 50-50? He goes, it's 50-50 across the country. Uh, but it all depends on what neck of the woods you're from. Like, if you're from New England, commercial is frameless, and residential is face frame. So I go, okay, so tell me, um, what do people do? He goes, uh, with face frames, he goes, it's 50-50. I go, what are you talking about? He goes, 50% of the people build a face frame first, and the other 50% the boxes first and I go what do you do and he goes I built my face frames first and he showed me how he did it and then he said and then I have a uh, and then I data win my my uh, sides and then put my boxes in and he went through the whole process with the uh, the South Florida Woodworker Guild with us and I went oh cool and that's when I learned face frame joinery so when I came to Festool and I started talking face frames we do this we do the face frames first and then we build the boxes to it but we use dominoes to connect everything and we have a whole process of doing that and i helped develop uh, well i thought i helped we all helped develop it and it was really cool when i designed that class for cabinetry but once again i i kind of know frameless inside and out and there are industry standards in that um to answer the question, it's just, you know, there, there's a lot of them. It's 32-millimeter spacing. It's 37 millimeters in from the front, 37 millimeters in from the back, depending if you're working from a rabbit, 
the dead back or the groove, but it's 37 from either way. And guess what works off of all of that? The, uh, all your hardware, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. slides or it, w- it doesn't matter which brand it is, Bloom, Grass, Salice, Agostini, all of them. And do you guys know the story how that all came about? 32 millimeter? It was after World War II. After World War II. And do you know where they came up? Do you know how they came up with 32 millimeter? I don't know how they came up with 32 millimeter specifically, but I am very familiar with they, why it came okay, to be. So, they so. they hit 31 and they're like, we need another <laughs> number, guys. And they're no. like, yeah. 32. It's the closest I would assume it has something to do with manufacturing. Yes, yeah, it is. And it's the closest they could get the offsetting spindles because when they rotate, it's left and right. And the closest they could get it was 32 millimeter. And they built everything off of that. They standardized everything, whether it's the cabinet shop. And the only difference in cabinet shops across Europe is the size of them. 10-man, 20, 30, 40-man, okay? And, you know, how, what the, the pr- production is. But uh, all the hardware companies got on board, and it all worked out where it all standardized. And everybody called it. Of course, it was out of Europe, but it just went across the world, and that's how it all came about. And what was perfect about it is it just segued perfect into CNC. Yeah, from from my understanding, it had to do with because I've read a, I've read up on this um, a couple of times, but basically after all the damage and destruction of World War II, and they were going to rebuild, you know, Europe. Basically, everybody got involved, and everybody was you know helping out. So they just created one system to standardize everything. Therefore, exactly. it could come from anywhere, and it would all be the same. Which I just thought was very interesting that that is how a that that system came to be, you know, for such a large scale thing. So pretty cool. So. So what do you guys prefer, frameless, face frame? What are your, what's your take on all this? For, for me, I'm really becoming a huge fan of uh, frameless. Like that's just, I just think frameless look the cleanest. Um, I think face frames, I feel like if you were to go into newer homes now, it's more likely you're going to see frameless, like newer modern homes or, or anybody that has any sort of modern style or whatever that's going to be frameless. And if you go into an older home, you know, anything built in the 90s or before, um, it's face frame applications and it's always like the same style raised panel doors and everything. I started out doing a lot of uh, face frame cabinets because I felt like that was easier in the beginning, looking at it from the from the outside. Um, but now I, I look at frameless cabinets, and I'm just like, man, I could knock these things out in no time. Um, and I just and- think they look cleaner. And for me, I just want to w- make one more point. Most, being in the kitchens and building kitchens out, the homeowner doesn't have any clue what the difference between a frameless and face frame. They don't know. They look at it and go, oh, look at the pretty doors. Look at the pretty drawer yeah. fronts. That's you all hardly you notice. See, the only difference and, is the spacing between the doors and drawer fronts. That's it. And, and, and the other thing is, is there's so much daggone space wasted with frames. Yeah. It's crazy, and it's a lot of extra labor. Yeah. So, for for just, me, it's a hundred percent. Yeah, for the same reasons. It's just frameless. I people frameless are easier mm-hmm. now that now that I've done frameless versus face frame. Frameless are far far easier because there's a lot less steps. I mean, yeah, you got an edge <laughs> band, but so what? you got to build a face frame. Um, to go on the second part, I always built my boxes first and then my face frames. I don't know why I ever did it in that order. 
Um, I just always built the boxes, made sure all my measurements were right, and then I built the face frames based off that. Um, and then the standards, you know, you covered that portion. So what about you, Ben? Um, I started, when I first started out, I was doing framed cabinets just because that's, that's what I saw in my house. That's what I saw growing up, you know, your pantry cabinets, uh, all that stuff was, was frame face frame. Um, but it wasn't until I started kind of digging into to the Festool line and buying into the system that, uh, that I saw how for my own personal taste and styles, how much I preferred, um, the frameless book, just because of the Euro style and, um, you know, all of my beds are made with frameless carcasses. Um, I have, I built one vanity that was with a face frame in the house and that was the last face frame that I ever built. And that was about five years ago. But in my experience, I've had more hardware failures. And again, it depends on the type of hardware that you use, but the hardware that, that I have on my, um, all of my cabinet doors that I have framed, uh, faces like most of the one with the exception of that one vanity, all the, all, all the cabinets in my house, um, are, are framed faces. I've, I've had to replace and repair that hardware a lot. Whereas with anything that is uh, frameless, you know, and again, it depend, it really does depend on the hardware that you use, but, um, I've never had to replace hardware, whether hinges or, I mean, really, really just hinges, um, because of how it mounts into the panel. Um, I don't, I don't know. It, just, it seems like to me that there's there's more work involved to do a, a face frame cabinet than there is to do a frameless. And just like you, Jason, I, I really like the the clean and open aesthetics of frameless. Yeah. Um, and then I always build my boxes first. Um, let's see. I'm trying to read the rest of the question. Did you, did you, delete, yeah, did you delete the question? Yeah, I already did. I delete them as um, we as we answer them. Um, I think that was it, right? That, that was it. Question? Yeah, that was it. That's a good question. Um, I thought that's why I put it in there. He's a good guy too. I think I'm All next, right, Jason? Yes, you are, good sir. All right, this is from um, Instagram Woodworking Whiskers Ash, and I'm gonna I'm gonna appease Ash a little bit, Jason, in our conversation before the start of the podcast, and I'll I'll read his question. In the voice. Is there any other uses for domino other than joinery? And answer is very simple. Uh, you use it to kill men by punching hole in head. You, you kill them very easily. Little messy, so make sure you use uh, dust ex- or, or organic matter extraction, you know? But uh, you put in 10 millimeter cutter plunge all the way in he dead like this <laughs> oh, better than for, for those um, for those <laughs> listening and are confused right now ash sent in a question asking if ben could do an entire episode in that voice so oh my god just a little snippet for you ash and he just um, got he just got back from the ukraine russia talks too so he's he's primed <laughs> hello my name is mikhail um, the only other thing that, that I can think of, or at least that I've used off the top of my head for, um, to use the domino for is if you wanted to install Z clips, um, on a, on a tabletop surface, if you want to attach it to your, to your, um, your apron, just yep. get a four millimeter cutter, um, 
drop it down to the to the shortest uh, plate height and mm -hmm. plunge it, and then you can use it with with a Z clip to attach it to your tabletop. Oh, yeah, I uh, I I start. I did that about. Oh my God! Fourteen years ago, I designed a, my own Z clips with a, a six millimeter domino and a five millimeter domino, and I did that on this little occasional table. And I said, "That is a really cool application." Now I see everybody doing cool stuff yeah. like that, and I'm like, "I love that, man!" Because there's so many cool little things you can think of. I, I saw that question, and I was like, "Hmm." I I didn't. I, I didn't know how to answer that. You answered it perfectly, Ben. So I'm trying to think if I've used it for other things instead of killing somebody. See, I can't do I, Russian. I can't I mean, do Russian. <laughs> have you guys seen No Country for Old Men? Oh, yeah. No. Great that's that's I immediately what I thought it. of is the, <laughs> the brain the power thing. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. oh yeah. my God. Oh. Um, I can't. What about you, Jace? Have you used it for anything else? So he said other than joinery, correct? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess this kind of would be considered joinery, but with the Domino 700, one of the, thing, one of the reasons I wanted to get it is for like floating shelves, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> which technically speaking, it would be considered joinery because you're joining the two pieces together kind of, but... Um, you could use the, you know, the longest dominoes. Let's say you had a eight quarter piece. You wanted to make a floating shelf, right? Well, you could cut the back part, you know, whatever you cut it into two pieces and basically plunge a domino into each side. And you could just attach the back piece onto the wall and the studs. And then you could just slide that part onto the shelf. And I just thought that was a cool application. Again, technically joinery. I was, I would have said what Ben mentioned, um, because I used to use a uh, a biscuit joiner for a long time to do that application to to do the Z clips, and there's other stuff you can do too. Uh, you can run your apron pieces through a table saw and make a channel and put yeah. them anywhere you want. But I, I mean, I mean, it, it's really hard to to come up with any other thing other than joinery. I mean, technically, mm -hmm. a Z clip is joinery, right? Mm -hmm. You're you're yeah. using you it to affix two pieces anchor. together. Mm -hmm. um, you could, if you took the domino and you again jacked it up to the to the shortest um, plate height. You could use it to create a spline in a mitered corner. You would just have to chop it all the way down that miter, and you're you're essentially just making a channel. Um, but you know, if you have a domino, why would you want to use a spline if you mm -hmm. if you have a domino? So. I uh, I like using the domino for the Z clips just because it leaves a much cleaner, smaller hole. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't like dulling my blades. So I bought mm. the lamello, and now I'm just going to use that for mm. basically like a biscuit joiner. <laughs> and I'm only going to use it for that. I went and already picked up a, a little bottle of DeWalt biscuits for it. So Yeah, mm. yeah. They should fit. Still, it's not like it's a precision still, machine or I'm anything. I'm still stuck on the clean little hole. Yeah, I yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jason, All right. What's, what's your next question, Jason? <laughs> <clears throat> okay. So... Um, in case we don't get to do three, let me say this one is going to be from, uh, at waterline woodworking on Instagram. Uh, actually real quick, hypernova. Have you ever set the break off on your saw stop? No. So we answered his question too. Um, I thought, at you, Jason, I thought you would like smash your hand down on top of it. Just, uh, <laughs> yeah. like if you good, didn't want to like YouTube reach out video. and touch the power button, you just like engage the blade, you know? Yeah. To send it back down. Yeah. Um, Hot dog. 
when des- when designing <laughs> a keep piece, a, keep a jar of hot dogs on your table. T- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm, um, hot dog. Oh no, you guys, you guys know that uh, that meme where it's like the face and it's all the hot yeah, dogs coming yeah, out of yeah. it. Yes. <laughs> I want to replace that with have a sauce stop and me just tossing a bunch of hot dogs you, at the blade. You need to do a challenge video, Jason, where you like stand in the corner of your shop and you're like trying to lob lob a wiener at the saw blade. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> let me let me ask let me read my question, Ben. Wiener. Wiener. He said wiener. He said wiener. At Waterline Woodworking, this is good with the last question. When designing a piece of furniture, how do you choose what type of joinery to use? Um so I'll start it off. It depends on what it's going to be used for. So the the most basic example that I can give for that would be a drawer box, right? Um the geometry of a drawer box and, and the pressure that you pull on, you know, that you pull on it, it makes it very easy to determine what style of joinery or what construction to make on that box, right? Um, if it's something that is going to, you know, just sit on a shelf and get no, you know, no heavy use or no stress uh, imparted on it your options for joinery are probably a lot bigger than others, right? You can way overdo it and you can underdo it on a lot of applications. So for me, I'm always just looking at what is it going to be used for, right? And a domino is obviously a great, uh, we were just talking about the domino. It's a great tech, uh, great method for construction of many things because it has such great strength. But do you need a domino to construct a, you know, a, a shelf that's gonna hang on the wall, you know? and not have, you know, may have one plant on it. Maybe not, right? Maybe that's, maybe that's too much. Do you, um, if you're going to build drawer boxes, do you just want to glue everything together and not have any kind of support there? No, probably not. You probably want to have something that's going to help uh, reduce that force of pushing and pulling on something over time. And that's where a domino or a dowel or screws or, uh, you know, pocket holes or dovetails or something like that comes into play. And then I think also the joinery, Another way to determine the joiner is what type of furniture you're building, right? You're not going to build, let's say you wanted to build something quote unquote fine furniture, right? Are you going to use, end up using pocket holes to construct something on fine furniture? Probably not, right? Traditional fine furniture, right? You're going to use, you know. With, with, a, with a few exceptions, I, I think. Yeah, the pipes Obviously, of the not, not everything is going to be pocket holed, but... <clears throat> But for certain things, I think it's okay to use a pocket hole. I don't know. Let, let's let's use an example of that real quick. So let's say I was going to build a traditional shaker table, right? Let's say I was going to build a traditional shaker table with you know common uh, you know common size for a shaker table, and I'm going to build my drawer box. If I was to document that, I'll just give you an example. If I was to document that, and I did everything in you know, let's just quote unquote old school techniques, you know, and I did it the, the, the right way. And then I built my drawer box and I assembled the front of my drawer box with pocket hole screws. Anybody, and that, that's, this is a whole nother conversation I think we should have on another episode. And that's what, it, what is fine furniture? Define fine furniture, right? But people would come out of their graves to ridicule me for that. And there is a certain elegance to certain things, I think, and a certain style of furniture that yields better to traditional styles of joinery, as where a lot of other newer, you know, hey, I'm building this, I have 40 
you know, cabinets to build and I have 40 cabinet drawers that I have to build. Well, that's a little bit of a different scenario. Um, unless you're doing like dovetails on everything. And that's where you start talking about super high end. When you're talking about throwing boxes together with pocket holes, I don't think that's in the same conversation as what you would find in like a super high end $70,000 kitchen renovation, just cabinets alone, $70,000 or something crazy like that. You're not going to find those things. You're going to find dovetail drawer boxes. You're yeah. going to find undermount drawer slides. You're going to find soft close doors. You're going to find, you know, hardwood cabinetry versus, you know, um, melamine, you know, or, or particle board or something like that. So I think that there is, there is a distinction between those. And I think that there is a difference and there, there is a kind of a line that you have to draw mm -hmm. if you're trying to follow traditional methods. Now, if you want to build that and do that on your own, that's totally fine. Um, we're kind of getting off the question a little mm -hmm. bit, but that's kind of, <clears throat> that, that's my mindset behind it. Right. Um, at the end of the day, you know, is a drawer box going to be seen? No, because it's probably going to be covered with a with a uh, drawer face. If you pulled it out and you looked at the back, you'd see it. You or know the what I mean? Sides. You put people pull out, look at the sides of a drawer. Yeah. They want to see if it's dovetailed. They so it just depends. See. That's yeah. That that's kind of a it's kind of a tough question. But again, like you know, if I was going to build a pergola, you know, I would do a lot of I would. I would want to do like a lot of mortise and tenon or half laps mm -hmm. or stuff like that. Right. Because it, it, yeah. you want it to be structurally sound. I wouldn't just do butt joints and build a pergola. Um, and, and, mm -hmm. and you know, and do screws. So, you know what I'm going to say, Ben, <laughs> butt joint, mm -hmm. butt joint. Mm -hmm. Love that butt joint. What Fun. about you, Sedge? Okay. It's, it's easy when you're choosing, but, um, <clears throat> you, you really got me thinking on this one. Jason, because I was just going to say two things: the way you choose the way you choose your joinery are on two two topics: glue line strength, emphasis glue line strength, and shear strength. And that's how you choose joinery. What are you going to use? What and also what do you have at your access? Whether it's uh, a machine or your skill level. Yeah. But you you brought up another topic which is important, and it is a. Uh, a slippery slope to go down, especially on a night like this, because we these are re shorter episodes usually. Um, but what you know, are you doing fine furniture? Are you doing something just to slam together? Is it for a commercial box, or is it you know a, a nice kitchen, or is it you know because pocket holes have their place, fine joinery has it has its place, but it does have its place. And are you willing to put the time in? Uh, or for me, are are you charging properly for that <laughs> for that mm -hmm. dovetail box, or do you put something together really quick with a couple of crown staples because they don't know the difference and it's going to live in an office, yeah, not a kitchen. So there's there's a lot of variables in there, but I always choose glue line strength and uh, shear strength when I'm designing something for joinery. That's that's my that's my two cents on that. And I agree with my, my, my decision is the same as Jason's. I think about the, what are the axes of force or stress that are going to be applied to that particular joint? And that's going to dictate what type of joinery I use. So. Yep. Sheer, sheer strength. Yeah. But at the end of the day, domino. Just, yeah. Just, just, just domino for everything. Just, just domino everything. Ooh. Cool. Um, I got a question. Sedge, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, 
There was a question. I'm going to say, Patrick, you, you have a great question, but I think that should be a whole episode. And it sounds funny I say that. But Patrick for Leather of Dragonflies was asking about all kinds of different glues. And I think that could be a whole night on just glue. It sounds funny, but I've seen, I've seen talks, and I'll say it from Mark Adams on glues alone. And every time I've seen the same talk, and I've seen it three times, I've learned something from it. There's a lot to do when you choose different glues. So I'm not going to touch on that one. I'm not going to do that question tonight. I'm going to choose this one. It's from ground zero underscore AR. And it says, how do you guys prepare your projects for painting? And that's a big difference between stain grade and paint grade. So I'll answer that right real quick. Uh, I sand. Say I'm doing a case and I want to do it paint grade. <clears throat> I sand it up to about 150 and then I oh and I said this I think a few episodes ago I'm a, I always prime and uh, sometimes a, if it's a dark of color I'll uh, actually add tint to the primer but I use um, I use Sherwin-Williams product it's called all-purpose primer but here's the other key to it I sand that out mm -hmm. at 180 afterwards and I only use one coat of prime but I sand I sand it, and that makes a huge difference because when you put that first coat on, and I don't want to go above 180 because I still want that adhesion, that claw, uh, but, boy, that, my, uh, the, that first coat of paint lays down sweet. So that's how I prep for uh, paint grade. And I, I would encourage uh, Ground Zero to, uh, to go listen to Episode 5, which is our finish episode. Okay, cool. Where we um, can go head into to finishing. Yeah, for for me, it's very similar uh, to Sedge. I I really don't enjoy painting. Um, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to spray. And so for me, it's the same thing. I'm just trying to get a nice smooth surface to start with. And one thing that I will uh, add to what Sedge said is, do not make the mistake of thinking. And this is based on my experience. Do not make the mistake of thinking if a paint says it doesn't need a primer that you're good because I have found that the worst paint jobs I do are always the ones that I do not use a primer. Mm -hmm. And I will not make that mistake ever again. I will always prime. I traditionally have done two coats. So I'm the same, sand to about 150, 180. Um, sometimes it depends on the instruction, manufacturer's instructions, but 150, 180, um, I usually would lay down two coats um, because I have a tendency to spray a lot thinner just based on some bad experiences that I've had. So I'll do a first coat and a lot of, uh, the paint that I have sprayed for cabinetry, um, at least the last few times has been the Sherman Williams chem aqua. So it's a water-based. And when you lay down that first coat, it does, you know, raise that grain a little bit. So I sand the first coat back, apply uh, a second thin coat and if I need to do it again I'll sand it and then that when you spray that chem aqua on it and I use the chem aqua um, I can't remember what it's called but it's the primer for their paint when you go and you spray that that coat if you took the time to to sand out the, that primered surface man does it lay down super nice mm. and it just takes the effort out I mean you really don't have to do anything at that point um, <clears throat> It's a little bit extra step, but the quality of paint and the adhesion that you're going to get by using a primer is way better than just sanding something and 
throwing some paint on it that says mm-hmm. no primer necessary. And that, that includes like painting the walls in the house too. I've made mm-hmm. that mistake and that's just stupid. Um, mm-hmm. But that's the process that I go through. And in most cases, I don't have to sand anything on the paint coats. Just two, three coats after a couple coats of primer. Mm-hmm. Good to go. The only thing that I would add to all that is before I start painting, I always get a hard light and I rake it in multiple directions around the piece because if you have overhead lighting, um, there are some instances where you don't see a deficiency until you put that first coat of paint on or primer. Um, Or you're like moving it around because you're trying to, you know, adjust something and you see that like, there's a hard line where you didn't sand or the hard line where a joint didn't really come together and you need to sand it. So just take a hard light, move it in all different directions or, or think about how that furniture is going to be used. If it's a door, you know, hold the light from above, like stand the door up as if it were going to be mounted, hold the light above it and then see if there's any hard lines being cast by the light that you don't intend for. Um, and then you can correct them because typically you Go painted ahead. those doors for Jen, didn't you? Yeah, those were rolled, rolled and tipped. Yeah, those came out perfect. Yeah, they did. And I and that's exactly what I did is I had overhead lights, but I stood the door up, I turned it, you know, rotated around it, made sure that there was no uh, defects in the surface, and that that door came out flawless. Like oh, it looks yeah. it looks awesome. Yeah. Perfect. Can I can I add two things real quick? No yeah. that we didn't cover? No. Yeah. Uh, no. one is uh, make sure you clean uh, before you lay down any paint. So you sand it and everything. We didn't yeah. really talk about that. Clean it off, yeah. right? Because that's yeah. going to help with oh, the adhesion. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I always, so I you always can... shower. <clears throat> yeah. I always take clean a shower. Your body. Yeah. Well, and and Sedge mentioned that he he uh, he wipes between coats or between sanding. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And after and pooping, you should wipe oh. as well. Oh, always. Yeah. I go to the bathroom, I wipe, and then I come back out and I spray the second coat. Show, shows up on white paint real easy. No, that ain't but right. That's the other that thing that I was right. going to say is take the time beforehand to make yeah. sure that everything looks great before you even mm-hmm. start painting because the minute you oh, put yeah. paint on it, yeah. it will stick out like a sore yeah. thumb, especially depending on the sheen of paint you're using. So yeah. take that additional time in the beginning because it'll save you a lot of time in the end. Mm-hmm. That would be the 80? only thing I have to add. I would say the majority of great finish work is great prep work. Oh, you know, no. 80% of a good finish is because of a good preparation. Absolutely. And it's my least uh, favorite thing to do. That's why I love using yeah. Rubio. Hides all that crap. Yeah. Just kidding. Yeah. Are we, so are we only doing two yeah. based on your time? I, 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 think, I think we're good. I think we're good to do three. You want to do three? Sure? Yeah. All right. Um, my turn, right? Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> this one is from Instagram. It's, uh, I'm guessing it's at Oscar. I am. And he asked, or she asked, what is the one project someone couldn't pay you to make no matter the cost? And that is easy for me. And that's a river table. I will never do a river table and epoxy pour. They are, I I think they are, um, in my opinion, I think that they're ugly. When I see a finished epoxy table or river table, it doesn't even look like real wood anymore. Like it looks like somebody just took like particle board and then like heat pressed vinyl on top of it. Like it doesn't even look like it doesn't look real anymore. It just looks like a big chunk of plastic. That's my answer. No river tables. Sedge. 
No, you. No, my. I mean, mine's boring because mine was going to be the same thing. Um, really? <clears throat> oh, yeah, and cool. here's why. Um, it. It's not. I actually do think some of them look very, very cool. I've seen some amazing uh, river tables. I think the craze is getting kind of old. For me, it's because I want nothing to do with the epoxy pour process. I want nothing to do with it. Um, and that that's really what it boils down to. Um, luckily, I, you know, I'm, in, I'm fortunate enough to be in a position where obviously I can pick and choose what I want to do, if, if anything. Because I'm Jason um, Ben. <clears throat> no, it's just because I don't do client work anymore. But, yeah, I just... I don't think they're all ugly. I'm like I said, I've I've seen some very 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 cool. Uh, I'm a big fan of like the all white with like walnut or something. Those are the ones that I think are really cool, where it almost looks like mm-hmm. you know porcelain and or marble and walnut, but or black and walnut. But um, I just I want nothing to do with with the epoxy pour process. I don't want to mix you know seventy gallons of epoxy. Mm-hmm. Or go just, throw that work and then have the epoxy um, fail. fail. Yeah, it, it just like you, and I you know pour too much or to it. Yeah, you get heat so that, that's also mine. Also like, what about you, Sedge? Well, because I kind of, I guess I didn't read that question quite right because, <clears throat> like, you're thinking about a it. project you did in the past. Like, oh which one no, you well, never I've refused. Do. I've refused work before, and. We actually, Mikey said, I cannot believe that my business partner, that you are refusing this job. And I actually pretty much tripled the price. It was, it was sickening how much I priced it up at. And she called back and she said, okay, when can I get you in? And I said, and I said, six months from now, she goes, she goes, I'll wait. And I go, Mikey, what do I do? I don't, we cannot, we cannot build it. So uh, um, uh, I wish I knew, Oscar, I am, if you were um, in the trades, because when I was in somebody's house and I was showing them our portfolio and everything and talking to them, I was interviewing them to see if Mikey and I were going to build for them. And sometimes the way people or husband and wife talk to each other, in front of two strangers, there's no way in hell I would do any work for them because if they're going to be mean to each other, they're going to be mean to us. So I always, I always interviewed the customers we built for to see if I wanted to build for them. And it sounds funny, but this lady was so nasty to her husband. He was the nicest, sweetest guy, but she was so nasty to him. And Mikey said... You, did, you were just doodling when you were when she was showing you. I was taking measurements and and you were doodling stuff. I go, yeah, because we're not going anywhere near there. Well, she's gonna she's gonna call us, and I go, okay, I'll take care of it. And I just kept going up and up. And here's the beautiful part of it: I got hired by Festool. So in that six months, yeah, you could dodge it. <laughs> I dodged it, baby. God, she was mean. She was downright mean in front of two strangers in her house to her husband. I was like, you got to be funny. Me. It's funny you bring up that experience because that was actually one of the things that tipped me uh, over the edge on building client work. My last, mm-hmm. my last customer, I had a similar situation between husband and wife and him wanting one thing and her basically just overriding it. And I could, it, it was, it was a very awkward, um, very awkward com- scenario. 
it's uncomfortable. Yeah. I want to say, dude, you take that shit? I stuff? Sorry. <laughs> good good point, though, about, like, interviewing the client. That Anytime I would ever go to a client's house, I would always uh, go to uh, their home, typically, yeah. so I could see the space and talk to them. I was sizing it up from the minute I drove into the neighborhood. You know what I mean? Yep. Oh, like yeah. I, I, I would, I, I could start thinking of ideas on prices the minute I drove into the neighborhood. Which I, it, that might sound messed up, but it's a hundred percent true. Like, is this going to be a client that is going to, you know, pay what I want for this table, or is this going to be a client where I shouldn't even meet with? Like, you can tell so many things just by driving up to somebody's home and the 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 upkeep sitting down inside the, the upkeep inside the house. <clears throat> yeah. You know, there's all kinds of things. Um, And it's not being too judgmental. It's, hey, you're going to be putting your heart and soul into building something for these folks. You know, you're going to charge right because it's your time and and you're worth it. But you better make sure that they understand every little thing, the contract's right with them, the payments are right, understand the process of the payment. But also, I, I wanted to build for nice people. Yeah. I mean, I've, we used to have clients call us on the way home, and they were crying. They loved it so much. Not, not that they didn't like it, but they were like, oh, my God, they, we just were, were having dinner at the table. And, and, and the kids were, like, so excited. And the wife was crying. I was like, are we okay with this? He goes, dude, she loves it so much. And I was like, wow. So those are the people I want to build for, you know, or I did build for. It's a better experience. Yeah, yeah man. And it's fun. Because, you know, I'd have them choose colors. What's your favorite color? What do you like about your kitchen now? What don't, you know, and just the whole process was great. They say, well, why are you charging this? I go, because you get him. And I point to Mikey. (laughs) (laughs) He's the most amazing guy (laughs) for attention to detail. He'll probably warranty your kitchen for a hundred (laughs) years. But we joke around about it. But they loved us because... We, we actually became friends with them. We'd bring them into our shop to show them the progress of their kitchen or whatever we were building for them, their furniture. And they go, we can come visit? I go, yeah, absolutely. Just don't touch anything. Oh, my God, it was fun. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a fun process. Sharon, keep your damn hands to yourself. I said, put it down. Put it down, Sharon. Yeah, we'd have to tell the, the guys, hey, uh, put your clothes on. <laughs> <laughs> put the, hey, Poppy, put, your, put a T-shirt on tomorrow. we got clients coming in. All right. Let's <coughs> see. My next one. This one should go pretty quick unless you guys have something to add to it. So it's from uh, Instagram. It's at Amp Builds. And his question is, what are the different kinds of plywood, good, bad, uh, and what to look for when shopping? So I will just quickly give my part. Um <clears throat> you're not going to find top quality plywood at any of the home stores, period. It's just, you're not going to. Not, um, not on the shelves. You can order it. You can order it, yeah. But um, you're not going to find it on display. No, it's, it's, not in, it's not in the store. Um, if you want good quality plywood in a much larger selection, you need to find a, a plywood or cabinet supplier. Or uh, There's tons of them in every major city. I, I would assure you that there's probably something nearby. That's what I look for. In terms of what to, you know, I'm always looking for A or B. You know, A1, B2, whatever it is, depends on the project. I just want 
good quality plywood. And believe it or not, guess what? It's not that much more expensive. And in no. some cases, I've actually got it cheaper from suppliers than I have yeah. in the box stores, like most things, like your hardwoods and everything else. It's grossly overpriced and lower quality. You'd be surprised how <clears throat> inexpensive pre-finished plywood is. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I tend to use more than anything now. Um, but 76 bucks a sheet. To, <laughs> to um, three quarter. If you want to find out everything you ever need to know about plywood, go to the Lumber Industry Update podcast, Shannon Rogers. Um, again, that's the Lumber Industry Update. And he has a two or three episode series where all he talks about is plywood. And you will walk away from that knowing everything you need to know about plywood. There's 75 million different core styles you can get, what each one is used for, the difference between the grading system. It's, it's remarkable. So definitely go, go check that out. So unless there's something additional you guys want to add uh, to that, but that is my number one recommendation for anybody that ever asks about plywood is check out the Lumber Industry Update plywood episodes. You guys don't use the project panels from Lowe's? That's no. That's what the wood's for, though. It's called project panel. It's for that's projects. You, you that's. I'm so I'm really surprised you guys don't use that. Yeah. You just pocket Look, hole. You just buy four project panels and you pocket hole together. And now you, you have a full one sheet. four by eight sheet. You yep. got a full sheet. Then you start ripping it. Yep. Just be sure you don't hit those screws. You guys are amateurs, man. I'm yeah. gonna. I I'm just gonna say. I concur 100% about that podcast. It's, you know, you know it, but it's great to hear somebody else just go through it. And he's part of the, he's an industry leader. Shannon is. Oh, yeah. And it's, it, he really boils it down absolutely perfect. I, I couldn't do it any justice. But he, he goes, and then all of a sudden he says something, you go, oh, yeah, I, I forgot about that, you know. So, I've, by the way, I've listened to those episodes twice. Yeah, he knows more about plywood than I know about anything in this world. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm fairly confident on that. Ben, yeah. do you have anything to add to this? No, I, I would just say that don't settle for, um, for bad quality, that there's likely somewhere where you can get really good quality. Um, I, I really love Baltic Birch. However, for whatever reason, the place that I get mine from the distributor yeah or the supplier they just they like disappeared it's the same so so now now i have to like really kind of hunt down higher quality plywood when i want it you know and again depending on the need but just like jason said talk to cabinetry shops they're the ones that are going to be more plugged in than anybody else and if if all else fails uh jason what is it for home depot they have a catalog that you can order them order from yeah. Oh, you can go online and order it directly offline. They're a pure bond dealer. You can literally yeah. get any kind of plywood you want at Home Depot. You can get any tool you want pretty much at Home Depot. You just have and to order I, it. I would just say for cabinet construction, stay away from three-quarter OSB. <laughs> oh, my God. No, that's what I use. <laughs> I actually saw I like, somebody I like build, the textured and, look. And I thought about it. I go, what the hell? That's pretty cool. He did three-quarter OSB shop cabinets. And I went, oh, okay, good way to practice. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> I, I just couldn't do it. He wanted to save himself that ten dollars a sheet. Oh, oh my God! And you and Ben, you're right. It's not that bad a pricing for a really no, good plywood. It really, it really, it really isn't. It, it's worth it. Eliminates all the headaches by yeah. quality. And if it is in your area, then somebody's trying to rip you off and just go with someone else. Oh, Sedge, you are the last one. Are you gonna do? 
yeah. the glue one or I I I don't want to open up a box of worms right now. You know, because it is a great question, and I could talk hours and hours and hours. But I'll, you know what? I'll just tackle this. It says, it says glue, hide, epoxy, white, yellow, open time, different applications. So I use I use hide glue when I need a very long open time. And uh, I've, I started about two years ago delving into chair making, uh, stool making, and I do through tenon, uh, wedged uh, tenons with uh, hex tapered legs and I did uh, uh, Jason when you were up at a uh, festival that time in a lobby did you see that coffee table I made and I did those walnut uh, tapered uh, uh, hexagonal legs that threw tenons on that slab I, I don't remember it I was too busy and, and, googling and I, or I ogling use, over all the festival I use high glue for that because when I use high glue it's uh, reversible with heat and steam Okay, but it's I I truly believe it's every bit as strong if, as PVA glues. You just don't use hide glue outside because it can be water soluble. But I really like it. It's got and for me when I choose a glue, and I'll tell you why I choose what I choose in tight bond. Uh, I use hide glue for the longest open time, and when I get a huge project, and I use the type bond liquid hide glue. I don't have to use my uh, my glue pot anymore to heat up flake or anything like that. So, that's my, that's my two cents on hide glue. I absolutely love it. Um, but, <laughs> I, I've joked around about this. But, do you guys know, I joke around, but it's true in my eyes. Do you know the difference between type on one, two, and three? Yes. Food color. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, the reason I choose, why, why would somebody choose, everybody says, oh, weather, it's weather resistant and stuff like that. Okay, I believe that marketing. But the reason I choose Type on 3, it has the longest open, open time. time. Yeah. I hate stress and glue up. Yeah. You know, I oh my God. And the one thing I do, well, I think teaching proper glue up is so important. I'm going to be doing a video th this year on it with uh, Big D. And I was, <laughs> I was taught this. Before you even always dry fit, do a dry run on everything. That is huge, okay? But the other thing is you make sure you have every daggone clamp within reach. Mm -hmm. You make sure, because that's what that dry, that dry run is on it, okay? Make sure you have your water, your rags, you have everything. You have your, and I use a card for spreading, all your spreaders, everything, quick. You have that dead blow hammer there. You have the extra C-clamps. Whatever it takes, you have everything there. It eliminates a lot of headache and stress. Then you combine that with like a type bond three for long open time. Epoxy has its place. Uh, hide glue doesn't fill. Uh, epoxy is more of a fill for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't do epoxy pours whatsoever. I've done one on Instagram with Rustic Designs by Rich here. There's a call out uh, up in Canada. It was fun as heck, but we were pouring a we were pouring a conference table for Festool Canada. Um, but I use epoxy. <laughs> More so for really fast setting glue that just will not break. And I'll use epoxy for fill. If, uh, like I'll be doing a slab desk, but it's just to fill a few fissures. And I'm going to do them clear because I want people to see the, the beauty of this uh, yeah. ash slab I have. Yeah. So, but there's so much to, to talk about glues and stuff like that. But, and then I shot a lot of contact cement. That's a whole other topic. Um, P 
PVA, I mean, um, C, uh, CA glues. I mm -hmm. use that when I turn mm -hmm. because I can fill a crack and save something. I've saved so many things when I'm turning uh, because you see it open up right in front of you. You go, okay, time off. You turn off the lathe, you fill it, and then it turns. Yeah, so CA so glues, it's a really good light, quick clamp. Yep, absolutely. Um, but that's that's my two cents on glue. Hopefully that answered something for you, Patrick. I'm not sure, but hopefully yeah. it did. For for me, uh, it's really based on the application. I use Titebond 3 for just about everything. Um, when I'm doing Walnut, I like to use the dark uh, Titebond. <clears throat> um, I use CA glue a lot. Uh, epoxy I like to use for filling things. Uh, and also sealing ends, um, as well as an adhesive. I actually just had to toss a bunch of epoxy that I guess one of the pumps or something on the on the thing got clogged or broke, and I can't even use it anymore, so I had to get rid of that. But um, for the most part, I, you know, I'm, oh, I use uh, Quick and Thick uh, for small, quick shot projects, things, jigs that I need to make, something I need to, to hold, and I want a little bit more holding strength than CA glue, because CA glue is great, but it's not perfect for every application. No, no. Um, tight bond Quick and Thick is easy. I can throw some glue on there, clamp it up. It's got a really uh, short open time, obviously. I can clamp it up, work on something else for 15, 20 minutes, and I'm good to go. So um, other than that, I mean, those are the things that have worked well for me. I've never used hide glue or anything like that. So um, that, that's kind of where I stand on the topic. Uh, I use tight bind too. I've used, I've used it for pretty much the entire time I've been woodworking. Uh, haven't done tight bind three yet. I mean, not for any particular reason, just I haven't. Um, I have a... What, you hate type on three? You got a problem yeah, with number I do. three? Actually, actually, I do, okay? But I don't want to talk about it right now. It's a sensitive subject. Yeah. Um, I have a very small uh, two-part epoxy for filling up small voids, kind of the same thing with you, Sedge. Um, it's a clear epoxy. And then CA glue here and there for a quick clamp application, but... That's pretty much it. Boom. 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 Those are all the questions tonight, ladies and gentlemen. That's that was right. fun. We, uh, we really appreciate uh, all the engagement that we get from the community, and that's why we do these these episodes. Every every five episodes, we'll, we'll do a complete community episode. And so uh, it's just our way of kind of uh, engaging with, with our community, the people that kind of support us, and you know the, just the people that we talk to commonly so we, we definitely appreciate everyone that submitted the questions both the ones that were read on the air and those that we just haven't been able to get to yet because we still have quite a, a stockpile of questions that we can go to so again thanks to everybody for all their their support uh for this podcast and for yeah. just being a part of the community oh for sure we love you guys yeah definitely appreciate hey, it can i uh, real quickly talk about bessie yes yes so before it gets too too deep into this, so again, uh, I know if you guys listened to the last two podcasts, you'll know that um, Bessie has agreed to be doing some giveaways with us. And so this month they're giving away to two people uh, a pair of six-inch trigger clamps and a pair of 12-inch trigger clamps. And it is open to U.S. and Canada, and excluding Alaska and Hawaii. And to enter, until we come up with a better solution, you will send an email uh, with in the subject line, just put you know January, January giveaway, giveaway, um, and then uh, in the 
actually type out your mailing address and your phone number. That way, if we select you, we don't have to bother you with that. We can just let you know that you won, and I'll be able to pass that information on to Bessie. So uh, huge thank you to Bessie for agreeing yes. to do that. You, you're going to send an email to greensuiterspodcast at gmail.com. Greensuiterspodcast at gmail.com. Subject line, January giveaway, and in the body, just put your name, your full address, and your phone number. And that Boom. automatically enters you in into the competition. So yep. get some free clamps, people. Yeah, man. Clamp it up. Thank Clamp you, Bessie. Kind of cool. And by, yeah, thank you, Bessie North America. You guys are rock stars for sure. Thank you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> sorry, I got a frog in my throat. I, I, I <clears throat> got a request, Ben. Sedge, it's too late. We've already started no. the next segment. You can't do it. You're going to have to save it for episode 21. I want you to do get bent and, McHe- and your Russian accent. In Russian accent. <laughs> ladies, and, ladies and gentlemen, time for a favorite show segment called Get Bent. <laughs> this is the new it. thing. <laughs> this is the new thing. Change approved. That was more like a Borat, it feels like. Let me, I, I don't care. care. Let it's me redo it. hysterical. All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready for next radio show segment, Get Bent. Yeah, uh, it's, we're definitely doing it. That, that definitely felt more cold, more Eastern Bloc. Oh, my yeah. God. From now on, that is exactly how we're going to in, uh, oh introduce Get Bent. <laughs> before, before I get he's crying. Before I get into this, does Sedge or Ben... Do either one of you have comments? I do. I've got a good one. Okay. Are you guys ready? I am. Oh, man. I had to go back four or five days ago. I've been waiting for these. Oh, man. I cannot wait to read some of these. <clears throat> First one is on my uh, how you should be cutting plywood. Here we go. But the first two comments I'm going to read are from that. Another self-appointed expert telling me how I should do things I was doing before he was even a gleam in his daddy's eyes. Wow. 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 Oh, Ben, by the way, I specifically haven't told you about these because the hurt butt report. (laughs) I need you to do this. I wanted to wait until this one. Okay. I, I seriously considered if I, like, recorded... Uh, a video made it look like one of those airline, you know, safety brief videos. Oh my God. And put it as a link, like make it like an unlisted video. And then instead of me typing all that stuff up, that I did that with the cop, just post the link to that. And it's me. And it's like, hi, welcome to the heartburn section of, of Jason. Mitz. <laughs> <laughs> it would appear that you've recently been butthurt and we care. And we can't. Oh, oh my God. God, you should totally do it. <laughs> oh, you should do that. Get dressed up in like a tuxedo top. Yeah, just look yeah. really fancy. Oh. All right. It. I got another one here. This one is the same video. He says, or he or she, I think it's a he. Basically remove the factory edge, make all reference cuts parallel or perpendicular to each other, Using a track saw or table saw fence, it's not rocket surgery. Well, he said rocket surgery. Yeah. In all fairness, nothing is rocket surgery. So. Oh my yeah. god. I'd say, well, right. man, you know, some some people are just they're just negative, you know. Oh yeah. It's like, oh, oh. I'm gonna show this guy. 
Good for you. I, okay. Good I, for I feel, you. I feel better now. I have two more on the same video, and then I promise I'm done. Okay. But well, there was there was so many mean. There were so many good ones on this video. I just oh, I had to read them. Okay, here's another one. Any bloody tradesman knows this. Anyone you is not <laughs> should not be using said tools unless shown by a competent tradesman. When you are shown this, you are shown how to cut. <laughs> So all this type of videos, I'm not a fan of. You're basically telling someone with no knowledge to pick up a power tool. <laughs> oh, my God. The, you have a lot of intoxicated people watching your videos. Hey, hey which, all, which, which one was Bert? Is Bert the bigger one out of Bert and Ernie? Or is that Ernie? <laughs> which one's the taller one? Bert, I think. Yeah, I think it is Bert. Just as you're reading this, I just imagine Bert, like with his eyebrows, you know, and he's like, <laughs> <laughs> just fervently typing. I just, uh, his I little, just made his no little sense Muppet hands. Me. Like I don't, I don't even know what he was saying. Yeah, I, I, I didn't get it. <clears throat> yeah. All right, this is the last one. I promise. Okay. <laughs> Oh, this is a good one. I never understood why some people would invest a five-figure amount in a family of power tools that are so vastly overpriced that a quarter of that money could result in a family of a top-of-the-line other brand that is technically at least as decent. <laughs> what a sack. <laughs> what a sack. You could sack. invest in another brand that was technically, at least, arguably, Somewhat, possibly, possibly maybe. could be almost as good. <laughs> Dang, Bert. Somebody, Tell us how you really feel. like Festool. Yeah, clearly. Another person that just all they see is the Festool behind me. I, 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 I seriously need to just put a green screen or replace all this Rayovi and then just use festival. I'm serious. You should, you should buy like broken sanders and just put like a knife through them and just have them on the back, you know, or like I think some I'm kind of like, gonna, I'm going to paint all of my tools a different color and just, or I'm just going to put a sticker on all of them and it says Rayobi. I'm going to use the lamello in the video. <laughs> just do like really crappy handwriting. It's going to say Harbor Freight. <laughs> use them in lamello. <laughs> Like you, the most, <laughs> the most expensive joinery, joinery machine you can buy. Check out this new biscuit cutter I just got from Harbor Freight. Harbor Freight. <laughs> really Keith nice. would love that. Hopefully and just it do, lasts more than once. Just do like a, do like like a cheap green screen of you like walking away from Harbor Freight, but you can totally tell it's a green screen. No, I, you know the real reason I ended up buying the Lamello, which I bought everybody. Don't think I got it for free. I bought it, so uh, it's one more video we can add to the uh, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. oh Because yeah, I'm that. rich, apparently. I'm a millionaire. <sighs> We're right. doing that video. Yeah. All right, Ben. All right. This is a good one. It. This is probably the first f like feminist-related comment that I've ever gotten. So this is on my... Uh, Video six safe options to haul wood when all you own is a car. Gang rep, 
if that's the technical term, I hope someone comes up with a different one. <laughs> what? Oh Gang God. rip? Lady, clean your mind, okay? <laughs> no no one else is thinking that. anything other than what you're thinking right now. You're the only person that thinks that. Wow, that's somebody who's been really abused. Oh my god! I'm Man. telling you, they're just they're just looking yeah, for no, a male to, to rip. You know. By the way, that's just sad. God, yeah. Ben, yeah. gang rip. That's so sexist. I love the ben, voice that you did. By the way, Ben, I feel really woke right now. <laughs> really woke. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, the frick is woke? <laughs> yeah, we, we better be careful with this cancel culture. They might cancel our podcast. Ooh, behave. We got to be really careful. I feel woke. <laughs> really? That, that was a how old was that comment? It was from today. It was from like what? early, like three o'clock in the morning this morning. I woke up to it. I was like, "What? Wow!" That's I like I don't, I don't even know how I attracted a comment like that. Yeah. One of these days, we should just do an entire episode of Get Bent. Like, really dive in and oh, find yeah. all the you've negative got, comments we have. You've got read. an archive of them, and we just. <laughs> We read them all, and then we go back and forth pretend, uh, pretending like whatever, either how they sound when they wrote it or what our, uh, what our reply should be, and I should respond to all of them with whatever reply we come up with on the podcast live. That'd be oh, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Show that'd option. Yep, that'd be fun. We'll have to have some alcohol on that one. I'll actually have to go back and look and see some of the comments I've gotten. Yeah, it's uh, the most of them about uh, have been on the metric video we did, mm -hmm. and how dumb Americans are. And I go, oh, thanks for sharing. Yeah, <laughs> stupid American. Oh and God, your, your ridiculously easy measuring system that almost what? all of the world uses. Whatever, Idiot. Euro. I I want my response is a uh, whatever Euro trash. Have fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, it can't be Euro trash because they're obviously using metric. Yeah. But they get—they have to hack Americans. Yeah. Oh, Whatever. Yeah. Well, that was fun, man. I've been dying to read those comments. <laughs> dying <laughs> to read those okay. comments. I gotta tell one. you though, Ben's was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Gang rip. Gang so, rip. So sexist, Ben. You're so sexist, gang rip. I am. I should really, really think my life. I should. I should really rethink my life as a father of nothing but girls. So. <laughs> I should think about I should think about the official woodworking terms that I use on a on a regular basis when I make videos. But anyways, ladies and gentlemen, this has been episode twenty, a community episode of the Green Suitors Podcast. We thank you so very much for being a part of this journey, for listening, for giving us your time, your ears, your attention. And we wish you all good luck in your shops this week and whatever you're doing. Jason, where can the good peoples find you? Benswoodworking.com. Sedgley, where can we find you? At Sedgetool on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Sedgetool.com. Thank you very much. And you can find me, Ben Marshall Designs, on Instagram and YouTube, and also MarshallDesignWorks.com. Thank you so much. Or, Be sure to or SexistAhole.com. <laughs> right? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Um, be sure to leave us a review yes. whenever you listen to this podcast. Let us know how you think the podcast is doing. Also, 
make sure you share this. If you're on Instagram, if you're on Facebook, do a little snapshot of whatever episode you're currently listening to besides this one, clearly, and, uh, and share it to your feeds. Maybe there's some other woodworkers that uh, are just in their shops right now and they're really boring and they're wishing that I wish I could listen to three sultry voiced gentlemen in my ear Extremely holes. handsome. Yeah. Well endowed. And speak mm-hmm. Russian. Da. Da babushka. Da. Da. In German. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us. Thanks, everybody. Right. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Later. Bye. Hey, this is Ben, co-host and editor of the Green Suiters Podcast. This episode is over, but if you want to hear more topics like this and you want to be a part of our conversation, head over to patreon.com forward slash Green Suiters Podcast for early access to each show. If you're listening to this on free feeds, be sure to leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.